Welcome to the podcast. At a hearing last week before the Boston City Council, David Spackman, the Senior Vice President of Legal Services at Leahy Health, never mentioned Partners Healthcare by name. Indeed, Spackman took a page out of the Harry Potter franchise, just as the wizards in Harry Potter refer to the evil Lord Voldemort as he who must not be named, Spackman referred to partners as the system who will not be named. Spackman said that system controls the market in Massachusetts and charges 30 to 50 percent more than its competitors because of its immense clout. How are you going to fix that problem, he asked. You could impose price controls or split partners apart, but he said neither was likely to happen. His solution? Build a competitor of similar size and scale by merging Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Leahy Health in Burlington, New England Baptist Hospital in Boston, Mount Auburn Hospital in Cambridge, and Anna Jakes Hospital in Newburyport. We're trying to bring true competition to Massachusetts. There is none, he said. But others at the same hearing, including the CEO of Tufts Medical Center, warned that the proposed merger would merely create a duopoly in Massachusetts and add a second unnameable health system. The mega-merger is one of the most fascinating policy debates going on in Massachusetts, with huge implications for patients and health providers. I'm Bruce Moll of Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today are two experts in the field. John McDonough, a professor at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and Paul Haddis, an associate professor of public health and community medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine. Set the stage for us here, John. How do you read what's happening, and where do you stand on this merger? So it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know at this point, just to put sort of the core numbers to it. So Partners Healthcare right now controls between 26 and 27 percent of the hospital market in Massachusetts, inpatient and outpatient. Uh, The next largest is Beth Israel Deaconess, which is core and the largest player in this proposed new merger. They right now have between 13 and 14 percent of the market. So you put those two together, and it's about uh, uh, 40 percent. The new market would put partners and this new co, which is what the new group is called, at about 52% of the total market. And so the challenge, the question, and the policy dilemma, and it's a real dilemma that I think we're all thinking really hard about, is are we in a better place having one partners or having two partners? Uh, I think there is a broad sense that having just one partner has been unhealthy for the system, and would we be better with two rather than one? And that's the, that's the policy dilemma that we're facing right now and that everybody is thinking about and debating and arguing. Paul, how's your, what's your take? Well, let me dilate a little bit on what John said. First of all, the, the dilemma or challenge we're feeling, just to put it out there, has to do with the commercial business in our state, which is where, where price can be negotiated and in, in, in varies. It's not really about government payment. And what I would say is what Beth Israel is proposing, uh, along with Leahy and others, in the face of, you know, we don't have single payer, we don't have rate control, is a fight fire with fire approach. What do I mean by that? We have a market that doesn't work. 
significantly, and not only, but significantly the existence of Partners Healthcare and its ability to get the, the super normal prices that it gets is an important part of that challenge. And the Beth Israel and Leahy et al. folks are saying, create a second system, and we can deal with the fact that uh, there's no other government involvement to try to deal with partners' market power, but we can create a, a significant enough competitor, attractive enough, to pull patients away, potentially do limited network deals with insurers, and if they're successful, they claim, they'll pull business away from partners, and even though they are at a rate, we could talk about in a moment, what, what they might end up at, it'll certainly be probably lower than the partner's rate, and therefore there's cost savings. That's their basic thesis. Uh, I don't know if you want me to jump into the worry or we'll get, we'll get there in this conversation from the other side. Well, I think a related piece, though, is, yeah, they may pull some business away from partners, but then there's also the concern, as we heard from Tufts, that they will also then pull significant business away from the remaining set of community hospitals and other teaching hospitals that are not affiliated with partners and that that will actually increase overall system costs. And of course, there's a difference. They can say, we're going to save money, and they may be right. But then there's a question of then, what happens with the money saved? And there's very little evidence in these kinds of mergers, acquisitions, consolidations, that the savings in any way flow back to patients or employers who buy health insurance. And so, and I don't see anything right now that provides any real guaranteed number in terms of savings coming back. So yeah, they could save money and then reinvest it in their system and in salaries and in all different right. kinds of things. Right. Dr. Wagner from Tufts, by the way, I'm a Tufts Medical School professor. I'm not connected directly to Tufts Medical Center, even though the two of a, a have a you know close relationship. But I'll, let me just say this for the record. I have not yet taken an opinion officially on this acquisition. I want to see the HPC report. But that's the Health Policy Health Commission Policy report. Commission report and what they find. But you know, there might but Dr. Wagner said there might not be savings, meaning meaning if instead, as John just pointed out, you take market share not away from partners by this new co-system, but all the other competitors, that could actually raise prices rel raise spending relative to where we are now. And is as they grow and get you know 25% market share, meaning this new this new uh, combined entity, their own pricing ability with the insurers. Some of the insurance folks have said to me, you know, they're potentially at risk for what we call, they call a shadow pricing problem that they won't necessarily get quite the prices that partners could get, but certainly and perhaps close to it, and much above where Leahy or the care group or, or, or Beth Israel and, and, and other members of its, of its system get right now. So it's both a potentially a price increase as well as the risk of not taking business away from partners but others that raises the spending concern that I have. And as you know, I'm connected to a consumer organization, the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization, a, you know, a group that worries a lot about affordability for consumers, and this is their worry too. But that's why we want to see the HPC report and see what its projections are. So, so just, just for parity, I need to disclose that I work for the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, which is part of Harvard University. Partners and Beth Israel Deaconess are part of the Harvard Teaching Hospital Network, so I'm conflicted on all sides. So, John, the uh, uh, Paul mentioned Michael Wagner, the CEO of Tufts Medical Center, and he raised another little wrinkle to this, that if commercial business, if this new entity takes business away from non-partners hospitals, commercial business, 
that they'll be left increasingly with Medicaid patients because they tend to, he said, Tufts has a much higher percentage of patients that are covered by Medicaid than this new entity would. And he, he said he uses, they use commercial rates to subsidize sort of the government paid rates. And it could lead sort of to a, a downward, he didn't use that term, but it sort of sounded like a downward spiral. Any truth to that? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So hospitals that have very high shares of particularly Medicaid, Medicare a little less so, but Medicaid definitely are at a disadvantage versus hospitals that have a much higher, more robust share of the privately insured market because they tend to pay rates to hospitals at a significantly higher rate than Medicare or Medicaid. It's about your market leverage. In other words, hospitals that tend to have more Medicaid business, therefore perhaps have less commercial business, therefore can't negotiate those commercial rates as high. And so whatever commercial business they do have is important to them. And Dr. Wagner is saying if we lose some of that, uh, our ability to get to break even, you know, because of the fact that they lose monies, you know, on, on, on Medicaid relative to their total cost, that's where the challenge comes in. Not only for this institution, but other non-partners, non-NUCO competitors are potentially in a similar place. But what's, I mean, we've talked about this as creating two giants, to two Goliaths to battle each other. Is the lesson here, you, you guys seem to be having some concerns some doubts about whether that will work. What are the pros of it? What what are the what's the likelihood that it might work? Well, the like well the the possibility the possibility rather than the likelihood is that now partners for the first time since the creation of partners back in 1993-94 will actually have someone up against it who carries their weight and thus has clout. Now what the impact of that will be very famous hearing before the Health Policy Commission several years ago when the former head of partners, Gary Gottlieb, was testifying, and he was getting pressed about the disparate rates of payment he got and what was the solution. And his solution was, well, we should raise every other hospital <laughs> up to partners' rates, which, of course, would bankrupt the whole system <laughs> if you tried to do that. But that's, that's kind of the level. One other interesting piece, by the way, just to add a little political dynamic to it is I haven't heard Governor Charlie Baker indicate anything, but the Public Health Council gave it a seal of approval earlier this month, and it's hard for me to imagine that that happened without the governor being aware in some way. And, of course, this Governor Charlie Baker, uh, 25 years ago when Partners was created, was the State Secretary of Health and Human Services who also signed off on the creation of Partners back in 1993-94. So what I guess goes around comes around, even for <laughs> Charlie Baker. Yeah. Quick comment on the process. It was unfortunate that the DPH, because of its statutory deadline, had to even put out an initial view of the transaction before the Health Policy Commission report came out. Not exactly good government when the most important review of the transaction, which ultimately could and should impact whether it's, it's deemed a good one or if there are issues, how do you write good conditions to mitigate against those issues? In some ways, the DPH shouldn't have had to act until after that, but that, that, you know, it's not their fault. The, the statute uh, forced them to do it because of, of the timing. But let me point something out that David, since you started with David Spackman, I'll, I'll note what he said, and it made me think, and I'm not sure I necessarily agree with this, but his view at, that, at the city council hearing was that his, the NUCO once created 
wouldn't have much ability to raise prices, he noted. That, you know, so the best case scenario, just to answer your question, is they come together with no ability really to raise prices so that you know, some of the fear around that is gone. And they do, in fact, take market share away from the partners, and that means lower spending. And what that means then is the partners, to fight back against that loss of market share, might need to lower its prices a bit. And so you know, it, it moves things starting in the right direction rather than our, our usual ratcheting up. But that's, that's all very theoretical, you know, but that's the concept. There's, so. let there's me, one other piece, okay. one, which is worth putting on the table as well, because we talk about these two new systems having parity in terms of both size, uh, and, but, but there's not parity, even if they're put together, there's not parity in terms of their total annual revenue. Right. Partners has annual revenue of about $13 billion. This new co, based upon 2016, would have revenue of about $5 billion. So it's actually a significant disparity between the two in terms of the revenue, at least coming out of the gate. And then the only reason NUCO would be seeking to do this is to try to get closer up in that direction, whether that would then bring partners down or harm other community hospitals in the system. The money comes from somewhere if they go up. Let me bring in an important actor in all this. It's called our health insurers, okay, meaning in two ways I think they're important. One is I would like to hear and hope the HPC, either before the HPC comes out or be, uh, before their report or after it, when they have an opportunity to react, they tell us uh, not only what they think of the report, but really what is their ability to create what they call a sort of a limited network or some kind of insurance product built around this new co, which would be attractive in the marketplace, be a cheaper premium, and pull patients or, 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 or beneficiaries who want to subscribe to that into it uh, as a way of pulling some of the business away from partners. Do they think those are viable products? And, 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 and more importantly, in a policy level, and I wrote about this in, in, in your Commonwealth magazine last July, I think the insurers, as our agents, they owe us a public opinion here, whether this is a good thing or bad thing. John and I are debating it, but we, don't, we aren't the ones who sit at the negotiating table or ultimately face that I'd like to hear from them whether they think this will be helpful to keeping costs in check or, or not. So, and, and I think that's an important voice to bring in ultimately into this whole discussion. John, this may be a, a real stupid question, but um, when you guys talk about market share and the battle for market share, I immediately sort of think, well, where do I go for my health care and, and will this make me change where I go for my health care? And I, I, I want to just understand are they looking for employers or and health plans to sort of say, well, here's a better deal over here. We're going to take all our employees and take all our workers over to this system. Is that is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. Increasingly, people who have private health insurance belong to plans where there's some kind of network restriction, and the the plan the the, the provider groups like Partners or Nuco will try to make deals with payers, employers, insurers, to try to get as much volume as they can. And so this does create the opportunity for this new co to approach plans and large employers with a different kind of conversation in terms of looking at their choices and looking at, you know, gee, do I have to, do I have to include partners in my network? That's 
the big thing in the private sector is that right now it is still, for the most part, the case. If you get, if you're part of an employer, um, uh, the employer right now still believes, for the most part, that you have to have partners in the network. And whether or not that would be shaken by this, by having this second Goliath in the system, that's one of the unknowns, but one of the possibilities. Right. And how much people are willing to, to in essence, give away that partner's choice for a price reduction. So rather than paying between them and their employer a $20,000 a year family premium, could we get it down to 16 or 17 just to draw numbers as a comparison? But for that, you know, you might have not having the choice of partners, hospitals, and doctors for your care. It would be limited to uh, not only not only the Nuco network, but potentially all the other providers. That that's one of the burning questions. There's a really interesting little tidbit here, which is that you know, employer-based premiums in Massachusetts are the fourth highest in the country, so they're expensive. You go over to the Massachusetts Health right. Connector and the uh, non-group individual coverage you buy there. Those premiums, buying as an individual, the, the silver level plan, forget, forgive the jargon, but that's the benchmark plan, is the second lowest premium in the country. Almost all of those plans that you buy through the connector, very good coverage, does not include partners in their networks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is the fundamental difference yeah. between the employer-based plans and the individual plans out of the connector. But I got I to gotta still wonder a little bit, all these hospitals that are going to merge together exist right now, right? Yes. So you have that choice right now. By merging together, is there some magic potion that happens that will suddenly make me go, okay, they're going to save well, someone? Let me, let me take a Can first I ask Paula question? Yeah, please do. Because <laughs> remember, because when part, because back in the 90s, the old days, when some of us remember, when Beth Israel Hospital and Deaconess Hospital merged, they really merged. They consolidated. They put everything together. When Mass General and Brigham merged to create partners, they didn't merge. They created an affiliation, and it's still really two independent hospitals in this behemoth system. My question with this, because I haven't seen it in any of the documents, is this a like a Beth Israel Deaconess entity, or is this like a, a new partner's entity? And right. that's really a telling detail right. that I haven't seen addressed anywhere. Well, let me say this. When I wrote my Commonwealth Magazine last July, and I said what the HPC ought to clearly explore is what are the efficiencies, this is what John is talking about, from this merger. How much reduction of duplication where it makes sense? And, and at the hearing earlier in the week, they talked about administrative kinds of savings. Doctor, I mean, uh, uh, the attorney Spackman said, "Oh, you know, at my level, at the administrative level," but was not willing to commit to clinical kinds of savings. And I think, in fact, he said there probably wouldn't be any. right. Well, that was dismaying to hear because I think if you really want to get healthcare more affordable, there's got to be some rationalization, which, as John points out rightly, never happened in the Brigham and Mass General. It's it's really two separate. Uh, institutions, some of us call them large kingdoms, that have more or less maintained their separate clinical operations with no real uh, significant cost savings from from you know, consolidating clinical services. I'm not saying it's always that easy, even in this new co-arrangement, to do it. They're in different geographies, but there could be centers of excellence at one place 
and not the other, and that could bring some savings. So I, I, I asked uh, what I wrote that, you know, the HPC of which I used to be a commissioner, I want them to ask about efficiencies. I want them to not only dig into the spending issues, what happens in market share coming from the partners or someplace else, but here, here's the other part. If the market share does come from, and this ties in with Dr. Wagner's concern, if the, if the market share does come from non-partners providers, that could destabilize some to the point of even going away. And, and we might need some of those safety net providers that at the margin uh, have, you know, some commercial business. And I th want the HPC to try to, if it can, model not only what happens with, you know, BI, NUCO at all, uh, spending and savings, but what happens to some of the other competitors potentially because I think that's a key part of this. You know, we, our, our state, we already do 80% of all care in, in the most expensive hospitals and the most expensive physician groups. So if we lose some of the more efficient providers, we're only going to be doing more and more care in those high-priced settings. And I want the HPC, if they can, to study that. So we just have a couple minutes. Give me your bottom line about, uh, so if you were Maybe you don't want to be put on the hot seat, but if you were put on the hot seat and say, which way would you go here? I'm left listening to the two of you that, gee, there's, there's risk going every which way here. Um, I'm, I'm sort of undecided. Yeah. Have you guys sort of leaned well, one way or the other? Well, I think, I think my, you know, my uh, leaning will be clearer once we see the opinion from the Health Policy Commission. I mean, they, they were the ones who came out and really, I think, totally undermined and ended the South Shore Hospital um, acquisition by partners and Hallmark in, in north of Boston. And they really are uh, credible. Uh, it's very uh, thoughtful and rigorous in terms of their analysis. And they're asking that question right now. And so I, I, I regrettably, because I like to come down on one side or the other, but I'm, I'm going to stay on the bubble until I see what they have to say. Before uh, you answer, Paul, sure. I, I just got to say, though, that was what you mentioned before, Partners was trying to expand. Mm -hmm. So there was a certain, certain logic to here's the biggest player in the market try, seeking to expand yeah. and whether that's going to work or not. This one is really, I, I can't even fathom how you would all the deal with all the variables involved here. You're creating a new system. Who's it going to take business away from? I don't really know that – they may be good, but I don't know that they can really foretell that either. No, but I think they make, I think they make the best case. Um, One way or the other. Yeah, look but at I'll, scenarios. Tell you, I'll tell you what I would, what I would say come down on and, and take an opinion on. The smartest thing to do right now would be to divide partners in half. Yeah, yeah. To take partners, say Brigham and Women – you go that way and take everything in the south with you, south of Boston. And Mass General, you go the other way and you take everything from the north of Boston and you can fight like cats and dogs over the west. But, gotcha. Right. Well, well, John, I would happy to come back to have that discussion. I know the Attorney General of California has just filed in a trust suit against Sutter Healthcare based on their supernormal pricing. So in, in, in some ways, uh, we can look to California potentially for for a model. I guess what I would say is while I remain wanting to see the HPC report before I uh, render my own judgment, the report isn't enough, especially if it finds worrisome things. What's the attorney general going to do? Will DPH, which I think watered down one condition that even existed in the draft 
a week or two ago went away last week, you know, in, in terms of trying to hold this new co to spending less than the, uh, the health care benchmark has temporarily gone away. Not only do I hope and expect that would spring back to life in the face of an HPC concern, but there even be additional conditions on pricing as well. I think a lot of that is left to be determined even after the HPC report. What happens then? It sounds like we'll have to have you back once, uh, once we get a little further into this. With that, I'd like to thank our guests, uh, John McDonough, thank you for being here, and Paul Haddis, thank you. That's our edition of this week's podcast, and look for us next week, and always subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks very much. Thank you.